Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been walking through the book of Genesis now for a number of weeks. Um, before we dive into God's Word, though, this morning, I want to let you know how proud I am of those that went on mission this past week to Mayfield, Kentucky with the Carpenter's Hope. I had the privilege to work alongside 11 other church members and about 12 other members from uh, um, churches all over the South, and we had a great time as we um, partnered with the Carpenter's Hope. Um, God used this team as the hands and feet of Jesus to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Monday and Tuesday, we had the opportunity to sheetrock an entire home and replace all of the windows in that home. We did this for a retired veteran named Laura, her daughter and her granddaughter. This amazing lady has not had a place to call home since that tornado. In fact, her neighbor's house fell onto her house, trapping her inside. Had her daughter not showed up at just the right time, she may not be with us this morning. Rory and Lydia, um, at the conclusion of all of their work projects, they present Bibles to those that they help. Um, and in this case up here, you see this picture. This was Laura receiving her Bible um, that was signed by everybody on the team. And then we also had a couple of ladies in our church that make um, these prayer quilts. And we had the opportunity to present her with a prayer quilt, quilt as well. God just moved in this team and through this team. I'm looking forward to future partnerships with the Carpenters Hope. And I hope and pray that in the future you will go on these trips. And let me tell you something. There were more ladies on this trip than there were guys. And those ladies outwork the guys most of the time. So it doesn't matter if you're a woman in this room or a man, um, you can do the work. Um, not only did we re-sheetrock that home, um, but the last three days we um, replaced three-quarter inch decking in a, in a two-story home. Um, and so it was, a, it was a lot of work, but it was fulfilling work. And I pray again that you'll have an opportunity in the future to go on a trip with them. Um, now this morning, we're going to look at the story in the Bible that most of us are very familiar with. We're going to look at the story of Jacob wrestling with God. But before there was a wrestling match, there was an attempt to make right a wrong. As Jacob prepares to turn to the land, return to the land of promise, he recognizes that he has to face the fear of coming face to face with his brother Esau. The last time these brothers met, it was about 20 years before this moment, and Esau had sworn that he was going to kill Jacob. Our main point this morning is Jacob's fear gives way to blessing. Jacob is going to prepare to have this encounter with his brother, but what he has is an encounter with the Lord. He will come out on the other side a broken man, but he will be a better man. Again, remember, Jacob has been away from the land of promise for about 20 years. 
And now he's returning just as the Lord had called him to do. So our first point this morning is this, camping close to God. In verses 1 through 3 we read, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahananim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. You know, this was such a much-needed encounter for Jacob. I'm sure that he was tired. I'm sure his family was tired. I'm sure that he was scared of having to face his brother. After 20 years, he's coming back into the land, and he's probably been traveling for weeks at this point. I'm sure those wonderful 11 kids have been pressing Jacob with these questions. Are we there yet? How much further? I'm bored. Benjamin hit me. Judah pulled my hair. Levi bit me. In the midst of all of this chaos, Jacob has an encounter with the angels of God. Jacob was no stranger to encounters, was he? The first encounter occurred in Bethel when Jacob dreamed of a ladder and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending from heaven. The Lord was at the top of this ladder and he spoke to Jacob proving to Jacob and us that God is not distant from us, but he is present with us. He is so present that he left heaven and came and dwelt among us. At this second encounter, Jacob declared that the spot he was at would be called God's camp. Now, I love that, God's camp. I'm sure most of us in this room have gone to church camp. How many of you have gone to some kind of a camp in your life, a camp or a retreat, maybe you were a part of a mission trip or you led a camp like vacation Bible school. Um, within that camp experience, some of you may have gotten saved. Some of you may have even been called into the ministry or recommitted your life to the Lord. While you were at that camp, God may have spoken to you and clarified his mission for your life. And some of you may have even led someone else to Christ being a part of such a camp. I don't know what happened when you were part of that camp, but I do know this. When you're a part of an event like that, your life is changed. God's camp does not just have to be a place that is miles away from your home. God's camp can be a place where you meet with the Lord on a regular basis. You know, when I was preparing for this message, thinking about where is that place that I say is my camp today. It's most likely my office down here where I'm in it, you know, five or six days out of the week sometimes. And that's where I, you know, do a lot of my Bible reading and Bible studying, sermon preparation. That's one of my camps. For you, your camp may be your office. It may be a study that you have at home. I've heard of people converting closets and turning them into sanctuaries. You may have done that, and that may be your camp. It may be your back porch or your kitchen table. It may be your car. A car can be a great camping place, but it doesn't need to be the only camping place because a lot of times in a car you're a little distracted. 
You know, a camp needs to be that place where, as we read in our opening time to, today, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. The camp is that place where we can be still in the presence of God and grow in our relationship with Him. If you don't have a camp, let me challenge you to establish one even today. In Psalm 34, 7, we read, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You know, both of Jacob's encounters with these angels of God were not by accident, were they? The angels showed up at just the right time to strengthen him. The Lord showed up at the right time, as he always does. We know that God is good all the time, isn't he? He is not only the God that shows up at the right time, he is the God that is never absent from us. We transition from this encounter to Jacob sending messengers ahead to meet up with Esau. In verses 3 through 5 we read, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Know this, Jacob sends these messengers ahead for one reason, to announce that Jacob was returning to the land. Jacob's posture here is not as a man prepared for war. He, 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 he isn't um, sending these men ahead saying that there's a great army that Jacob's bringing into the land or that Jacob is coming looking for a fight with his brother Esau. Jacob is approaching in this manner because he does not want to fight. He wants peace with his brother and he uses these messengers to help negotiate that peace. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes that's a little challenging, isn't it? Sometimes it's challenging to, to, to find peace in your own home, yet alone outside of your home. Jacob seeks peace, but what he would get was something he did not expect. expect. So the next sub-point here is Jacob was faced with his fear. In verse 6 we read, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. If you were Jacob, would you be a little scared right now? I mean, think about it. The last time that, that, that Jacob and Esau had any kind of encounter at all, Esau swore that he was going to kill Jacob. And so now Jacob hears that there's 400 men accompanying Esau, and they're on, his, on their way to see him. In Genesis 32, 7 through 8, we read, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Now, if I were Jacob, I would probably be just as scared as he was. But think about it. Jacob's fear was unwarranted, wasn't it? Jacob knows that God had called him back into the land of promise. He knew that, that, that God was camping all around him. He knew that the angels of God were ascending and descending from heaven. And he knew that God was looking out 
over him. He knew those very angels were in his midst. He had no reason to fear. You and I should know this to be true as well. We read in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How does Paul tell us to handle our fear? In Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're told here, do not be anxious. Do not fear. I read yesterday on Facebook, somebody posted, the antidote to fear is to remember the nearness of God. Folks, we have God dwelling within us. We have the angels of God all around us this morning. Our fear is unwarranted. There is power in prayer And that's what we're going to see next here with Jacob. Jacob is going to take his moment of fear and he's going to turn to the Lord. In verses 9 through 12 we read, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant." For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob did not always get it right, but in this moment, he did. He knew that in his own strength, he did not stand a chance against his brother. He also knew that he was living with the promise that God had his back and that God had a purpose for his life. Notice the two bookends of this prayer. In verse 9, Jacob is saying, Lord, you told me to return. And then in verse 12, he said, you promised me that you would do me good. What is Jacob doing here? He is really hoping that God would be true to his word, wasn't he? You and I did not need to hope that God will be true to his word. He is always true to his word. His word is true. His words are true. His guarantees will come to completion, won't they? As soon as Jacob is done praying, he does what Jacob often does. He devises a plan. In verses 13 through 21, we read, So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when he saw my brother meet you and asked you, to whom do you belong? 
Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. So what does Jacob do? He gets busy and he goes right to work. He prepares presents for his brothers. And we read of those presents, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He then divided up his servants and sent them ahead in droves, group by group ahead to meet up with Esau. Group after group left, each group bearing gifts to bribe his brother with. Now, what does Jacob do wrong here? Some would suggest he disobeyed God, but God never told him he couldn't give his brother gifts. The problem here is that Jacob had no idea if his brother was even angry with him still. It had been 20 years since these two brothers had met up. Sometimes time can, can ease the anxiety and the angst that two people might have. The problem here is that Jacob had no idea, again, if his brother was angry with him. So what he is attempting to do is he's attempting to buy his brother's love. That is where Jacob goes wrong. He took things in his own hands, and he tried to make amends by showering his brother's brother with gifts instead of relying upon God to give him safe passage into the land of promise. We're going to read in the coming weeks what happened between these brothers. But before there was a reconciliation, there first was a wrestling match. And so that brings us to our second point this morning. In verses 22 through 24, we read, that same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This right here is the first recorded WWF match in all of human history. I grew up watching wrestling. Anybody else want to admit to that? Mark Love. Anybody else still want to admit that you watch wrestling? No, Mark? Okay. I remember watching the Von Erics. Y'all remember the Von Erics? I remember watching Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. There was a guy named Kabuki that spit out this green goo every time he went into a match. Couldn't do that today because of COVID. Back in that day, I guess you couldn't transfer germs that way. This, there was nothing like watching these men. Here's what we know about the WWF and all the other WWs. They're fake, right? If you didn't know that, I'm sorry to disappoint you this morning. Even though WWF is not real, the wrestling match that Jacob had on this day was very much real. Again, in verse 24, we read, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Who is this man? Even though Scripture does not implicitly tell us who this man was, we know that it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that wrestled with 
Jacob that day. Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian and preacher, shared, it does not say that he wrestled with the man, but there wrestled a man with him. We call him wrestling Jacob. And so he was. But we must not forget the wrestling man, or rather the wrestling Christ, the wrestling angel of the covenant, who had come to wrestle out of him much of his own strength and wisdom. What was the purpose of this match? God was trying to get Jacob to stop relying upon Jacob and begin to rely upon him. God was trying to humble Jacob and bring him to a point not of self-reliance, but to a point where he would finally rely upon God. Has the Lord ever done that with you? You may not have rolled around with the Lord on the ground like Jacob did on that night. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, there have been times when the Lord has, has at least attempted to wrestle out of us maybe our pride, maybe our stubbornness, maybe our sinfulness. That's what we're seeing on this day with Jacob. As they are wrestling, we are told that Jacob would sustain an injury. In verse 25 again, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, reading this passage, it leads us to believe that Jacob at some points had the upper hand and that he was stronger than the Lord. But that's not the case at all. Jacob was not giving up. He was a bulldog of a man, and he was not about to let this unknown man defeat him. So all that night, the Lord allowed Jacob to think that Jacob was winning the fight. But come daybreak, enough was enough, and the Lord would cripple Jacob. Because Jacob relied upon his own strength, the Lord would cripple him to get him to stop relying upon himself and to begin to finally rely upon him. Has there ever been a time in your life when there, when an injury that you sustained caused you to slow down and to, to fix? Um, been there and done that, huh? Yeah. You know, I think most of us have, have had that type of slow down moment in our life, and we know that Jacob would have that. For Jacob, his life would be forever changed because of that crippling moment. But notice the plea. In verse 26, Jacob says, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In an instant, everything changed. Jacob is still holding on and unwilling to let go of the Lord. But now Jacob clearly knows who he is wrestling with. He knows that he is wrestling with the Lord. When life gets tough, don't give up, but hang on. Hang on to the word of God. Hang on to the promises of God. Hang on to the people of God. Hang on in prayer before God. That's what Jacob is doing here. So before he let go, lets go, he asks the Lord for a blessing. In verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Do you think the Lord didn't know who Jacob was? Of course he knew who Jacob was. Here's what's happening here. The Lord is reminding Jacob 
of who he is and what his name represents. Jacob's name meant hill catcher or trickster. Jacob was a man who was a man of deception, wasn't he? But in an instant, he will be blessed by the Lord and given a new name. In verse 28, we read, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob was given a new name, and that new name is Israel. Israel means God prevails or governed by God. Jacob wrestled with God and would come out on the other side a new man before God. He was given a new name, and he was reminded of his purpose. What we will see as we continue to study Jacob is that as we read these next chapters, there's going to be some times when, when the Lord's going to refer to Jacob as Jacob, and there's going to be times that he's going to refer to him with his new name, Israel. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jacob is still going to be a man that struggles between his old nature and his new nature. How many of you can relate to that this morning? Most of us in this room can relate to the struggle that we still have sometimes with our old nature. Even Paul struggled between the old and the new. In Romans seven fifteen through 20, Paul wrote, For I do not understand my own actions, for I, do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, not, I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You know, Jacob would be forever changed because of his encounter with the Lord. He would be a broken man, but he would come out on the other side a better man. He would have a limp for the rest of his life as a reminder of the encounter he had with the Lord. You and I do not always get it right, do we? But we do know that the Lord will never leave us, and we have the promise that he'll never forsake us. As we close this morning, let's read verses 29 through 32. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Penel saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. For the rest of Jacob's life, he would walk with that limp. That limp was a reminder of the wrestling match that he had with the Lord. As we close this morning, let me challenge all of us in this room. If you don't have a place called, that you call God's camp or whatever you might want to refer it to, I want to challenge you to do that. Let's all rely upon God more and less upon self. We died to our old self at the moment of our salvation. Our old nature was replaced with a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new 
has come. All of us are new in Christ. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out. It means that we're still a work in progress. As long as we still have flesh, we know that we're going to have challenges and struggles in this world. Let's be men and women that turn to the Lord for our strength. Let's turn to the Lord in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of those storms, and know that God has us. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Him. You may be here this morning, and you need prayer, I'll be here at the front, I'd love to pray with you. I don't know what decision you need to make, but you come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning just thanking you, Father, again, for the opportunity to gather together in your house, to gather together around your Word, and to learn, Father, from the mistakes of those that have come before us, as well as to learn of what they did right. Father, we say it every week, Jacob didn't always get it right, but we know he did get some things right. Father, help us, Lord Jesus, as we go through this life to be men and women that spend daily time with you, men and women that establish a stake in the ground and say, this is going to be the place where I camp with the Lord. Men and women that recognize, yes, the old nature is real, but the new nature is stronger than that old nature. And we need to feed our new nature with the Word of God every single day. Help us to be men and women of the Word. Father, move now during this time of invitation. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come.